Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this, it's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible, just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it's, it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash OLLC to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meat, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. And get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash OLOC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, liquid death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, liquid death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a very special guest, my good friend, Mr. Bobby Hundreds. Do people call you Bobby Kim ever now? 
I hope they do. I wish they would. Yeah. But um, it's, these days it's more about me hundreds than not. Well, thank you for being here because you were on episode 21. Whoa. And now I'm on episode like almost 200. So I appreciate you coming in so early on. Yeah. And that episode, we learned all about your life. But now we're just here to catch up on other things in your life since this episode. I love it. So much is happening with you. Um, congratulations on your new book deal. Thank you. Well, Thank you. With Blue Marble Management as well. Is that a management signing and a book deal or is that two different things? Those are two different things, but yeah. I do have new management with Blue, Bar- Blue Marble and that's more for TV and film writing. Nice. So, And then I have a, a separate book deal for my next book coming out, which we'll probably talk about. Awesome. Yeah, because the other book was a really, that was like a bestseller as well. Yeah, it's that was a, a national t-shirt. bestseller. Was, yeah, it was wow. still resonating. I still get just as much feedback from it today and people tagging me in it. Um, than it was when it came out in 2019. It's crazy. I remember going to see it at uh, Barnes and Noble when it first came out. Yeah. Oh yeah. God. That's such a long time. I can't ago. believe it's been three years since then. By the way. I mean, but so that much was happened. that really was like one of the last things before the pandemic. And you guys are about to drop your second collection of the uh, Adam Bomb NFTs too. That's right. There's another NFT collection coming, which we can talk about. This one's called Batam Bomb Squad. It's about the villain. The vil- okay. And NFTs, you like that is that's still crushing in the world right now. The metaverse and all that stuff. It depends on who you ask and what <laughs> crushing it means, because in the larger scope of things, definitely not. Cr- more like getting crushed. Really? Yeah. So it's died down now. It's the, the the froth around it has died, which I actually really love. Like okay. I love when things in crypto and in finance, they call it a bear market. When a bull markets, when everything is just really popping. Okay. And what bear markets come around those are kind of the valleys i'm i like that i actually like it um obviously we make a lot less money and people aren't as profitable companies go out of business it's really hard yeah um but aside from that i think it's the more creative seasons of work and that's you see that in any market or industry whenever fashion goes in and out streetwear has had some really rough seasons yeah right there was a period of from like let's say 2010 to 2015 where streetwear was arguably more or less dead uh, americana and trad was really popular the red wing boots the mm. denim movement um but those were some of my favorite years of my career because we were called on to be more creative and innovative and resourceful and that's where we came up with all our ideas so that when the next generation of streetwear came in led by virgil and a lot of more of the high fashion stuff you know 2015 up until 2020 2021 you know we were prepared for it because we had worked so hard for those five years so you need the the down periods and i mean that's just a metaphor for life for work for any kind of trend-based movement you need the down periods for everyone to go back to their corners be innovative, be smart, adapt, pivot, and then they come back out with something like really complex and different. Yeah, and so and during the pandemic, you guys really had to do that, right? Like really like not reinvent yourself, but have to stay. Like how was that going through the past couple of years with oh, everything man. just stopping? It was rough. Yeah. You know? um, it was really scary in the beginning of 2020. Uh, if everyone recalls, it's kind of hard to remember now, but there was this week where everyone was just like laying everyone off especially yeah. if you were coming from the restaurant world or a business that survived day to day, there was a little bit of like a timeline of you can only last for about one to two months just off of working capital, you know? Yeah. And then the government obviously came in and infused a bunch of cash. And, um, and then what people didn't expect or anticipate, and we definitely did it 
was that if you're a direct-to-consumer brand, you had a lot of online commerce the way that the hundreds did and a lot of streetwear did. And if you sold comfortable clothing, right, <laughs> it was like shoot, it was like crabs in a barrel, yeah. right? And so all of a sudden, you were getting a lot of traffic to your websites because people were spending all of their lives online True. and just scrolling on Instagram and getting fed uh, material. And people were doing a lot of retail therapy and they were kind of confused scared you know sad at home and bored and yeah. instead of spending that money going to coachella or going to watch a movie or going to a restaurant spending their money at the bar they were spending it all on product sweatpants sweatpants and so brands <laughs> like ours really thrived and you know that was very much unexpected but we capitalized on it that year and then into 2021 and now a lot of that's also died off it has, in, right? In, in, in a really gnarly way. Yeah. So what do you mean? So online sales have died off? Like tremendously. And wow. the whole paradigm of it has also shifted because for most direct-to-consumer online-focused brands, much of their marketing has been done through specific Facebook algorithms or meta algorithms mm. and Google ads. And even the way that those formulas have been, were tuned, have been reworked. Yeah. And so a lot of those brands just aren't hitting the same. They're not finding the same customer base and then you have to remember, we all kind of went back outside. We went back to our jobs, schools. Yeah. We started spending money at the movies, at the restaurants, at the bars. And True. especially if you live in cities like Los Angeles, you're spending all your money on gas, yeah. right, just to drive. <laughs> and so that's where all your money started going instead of like, wow. oh, well, maybe I'll buy another hoodie, which we have many hoodies from the pan. Like if everyone opens up their closet, I'm sure you have at least five to 10 hoodies that you bought during the pandemic. You're like, why did I, why was I so cold back then? <laughs> it was just trying to be comfortable, man. It was just such a crazy time. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a crazy time. Yeah. What, what was it like for you? I mean, cause everything stopped. Like, you know, the tour, the last tour I did was 2019 with Gula Biscuits and Agnostic Front in Europe. I've been, I've been in Europe in three years. I'm finally going back next year. Yeah. Lucky for me, I started this podcast um, like a year before and had a bunch of episodes banked and then this really just changed and saved my life in a good way. You know what I mean? Oh, awesome. Yeah, and just, your career. Exa yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I could still like get it out through talking to people, I guess. Like I would get it out through singing. It's a different kind of therapeutic kind of vibe, I guess, as far as just talking to you than mm -hmm. screaming on stage. But it, it helped. I don't know. just kept myself creative and just having these conversations. I think you know? for you too, Toby, from everything I've ever understood of you is that human connection is so integral to your life and your yeah. appreciation of the world. And so I think you were fed that through music and by doing live touring and communion, you had a lot of crowd engagement. Yes. And then once that was severed, you were like, how else am I going to establish connections and relationships with human beings? And this provided that. And it's funny because you're talking about how it serviced you and it benefited you. But what you are forgetting or maybe you're, you're kind of overlooking is like what it did for the rest of us, mm. right? And it's like you do those concerts, you love singing because you get something out of it. But really also what it provides for everyone else is like so much greater than you. And Thank the same you. thing with the podcast, right? Yeah. Like this has probably helped and shaped and bettered so many people's lives that you'll never even really know how far that distance goes. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people hit me up a lot now more about the podcast and they do about like when the band's playing again. Oh, really? but it's still cool <laughs> and people have come up to me since shows have happened like asking to take the photo i love your podcast but yeah some people didn't even know i had a band to be honest oh like, that's remarkable heard about the podcast probably because some other guests from a different world posted it and then who the hell is, who is this guy and then yeah then they found out about the band after which is crazy it's kind of cool. cool yeah i do like that um we just played with descendants and this couple came out to see us because they love the podcast but never 
heard of the band or seen the band. They came to see us for the first time. It was really cool. That's awesome. It's interesting how the world yeah. works like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's why I, I, I feel I have the same types of interactions. I have a lot of people who read my book that never knew about the clothing brand. Yeah. People who buy our NFTs or know me from crypto that are like, you're in fashion. They don't yeah. get it. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Like, I think we're very complex individuals. Humans are onions, right? Many layers. And the internet provides us lanes to where we can actually delve into all of these different interests. Whereas, I don't know, when we were growing up, it was almost like you were siloed as being that thing. And that's all you do. That's it. It's just like, you're a punk. Like, that's all you can listen to. That's you're a punk guy. You're like, oh, I like rap too. It's just like, no, you're punk. And like, so you're just giving, you're that kind of person. You're going to have this kind of life. And it was so limiting and it was like harder, especially for people who were coming from backgrounds and experiences where they just weren't as privileged or they just didn't have access to as yeah. much. Right. And so then it was just like, well, I guess I grew up poor, so I got to stay poor. Or my dad was a mechanic, so I guess I got to be a mechanic. And now kids are growing up and they're like, well, I want to have merch. I want to be into fashion. I want to be a personality. I want to yeah. have a TikTok or do a podcast. I want to like make music and they can do all of it and have lanes and find success in all those fields. Now it's like, pretty amazing because i think this is much more reflective of who we are as people as opposed to like the old school model that we were trained is just like well you're into cars like you're going to be a gm guy for 45 <laughs> years of your life and that's all you do it's just like whoa i'm a much more interesting person than yeah. that like i have this much to offer the world but they're only going to know me for the work i do on the assembly line and i think like i'm i'm i much prefer to live in a world now where we're kind of accepting and embracing of like yeah someone could be into all of these things you can listen to all these genres of music you can stand for many different causes and it's just like yeah we're we're not just these monolithic creatures anymore yeah i love that like yeah you're just a hardcore singer you just that uh, you only get to be in that band you can't like other types of music you can't go see Coldplay. Mm -hmm. You can't wear that. You can't wear those shoes. You have to look like what we think you're supposed to look like. You know what I mean? There's so many like you're like pigeonholed into one thing. Yeah. And it's crazy because this yeah, there's so many layers to us as human beings beyond just what people see of us, like as Bobby Hunter's the creator and, yeah. and designer and everything else. You're the dad. I love how you keep like your your personal life so personal. Uh, it's like so important to me just to have it's sacred. There's some things in my life that are sacred and we were talking about this before, yeah. so not to blow the lead, but no. um, just understanding that delineation between our social media lives and presence, totally. which is important, um, but also it's very much crafted and it's very much branded. And then there's also like our personal lives that we live in. And not that one is more important than the other. Or one's more necessarily real than the other. They are just two completely different things, especially for me. And yeah. there are some things that are very intimately close and like personal to me that I don't necessarily need to share. And there's some things that I choose to share intentionally and thoughtfully and with my under my own volition, like I want the world to see that. And that's articulated a certain way because I'm getting something out of that, whether yeah. it's like marketing or whether it's virtue signaling or whether it's because I want something to actually happen. But like that's what social is for. And I think, again, like this is not any new anything new, but we as humans, especially over the last 10 years, have we get into a lot of trouble when we conflate the two. And we yeah. think that our online presence or social presence is the same or parallel or, or is somehow, you know, the same representative of like our personal lives. And they're not. And so you can't do that with other people as well. You can't just assume that what you're seeing is really what's happening in their lives. And even for you to understand that what you're projecting out there, even if you're like, no, this is really the authentic me, it's not. Of course it's not, right? The yeah. authentic you is not even 
you're not even really aware of who the authentic you is, you know, like most of you would kind of have to take stock or survey your friends to get like a better sense of who you are. Like you don't even really know how you're projecting or presenting or being. So um, anyways, it's important to have two different lanes. And I think to know that you have two different lanes more than anything. And for me, like that family part of it is just a completely different life that I don't feel like necessarily fits into my social presence. Yeah, so there's no, you can't find any pictures of your family really here and there online or nothing. I don't think so. Um, I'm sure like we've had, you know, I'll be in an event and with my kids sometimes and there's like some, a photographer who's hired to shoot people for AP or yeah. so, something like that. Um, but other than that, like I usually just ask people like, oh, if you can, like you can totally take a photo of me. Like that's a choice I made that I want to be all over the internet. But like if you can, like try not to do this. And it's just protection. And when my children are old enough, to where they can, on, by, on their own co- cognition and volition, decide whether or not they want to be public figures. Yeah. They can do that, you know. But I remember very early on, you know, when every kid now grows up and they want, they want to be an influencer. It's like the number one career goal. Yeah. It's like, I want to be an influencer or a YouTube personality. And my kids were like that too. And I was always just like, ah, I don't know. Like, you might regret it one day. Mm. And now my boys are 10 and 13 and... When I talk about that now with them, they're always like, thank God that you kept us off that is awesome. of being YouTube because they would be embarrassed by a lot of that early childhood material. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the same feeling I have now. I'm like, you're going to get to an age where I'm like, okay, now you can decide whether or not you want to be stuck with these choices for the rest of your life. But just remember the internet doesn't forget. It doesn't. And people don't, aren't very forgiving. And so if they are like, that's who you are, they're going to just kind of see you forever as that and they're not going to give you many chances to be anything else and um and so they're very much aware of that but that's just that was a decision i had to make just because so much of my life was so publicized and public by again by my own choice by having a blog for like 20 years yeah my daily thoughts which was so personal and intimate but like it was a choice i made and i didn't want that for them if they didn't want to do it and are they are they on social media at all yet? Or they um they use TikTok. There's like a kids TikTok, okay. and there's one where um that's curated for them. And then they can also like they'll make videos, but they don't publish them. They're just like they they do do it just for themselves. That's cool. Uh, just to understand the editing software and to know how to build content, but they're not on social. What yeah. do you think they want to do? They want to do stuff like you do? Uh, I don't think so. They're not okay. in, in impressed by any of it, <laughs> which is like the most humbling thing. And um, yeah, that's cool. it keeps me very real. But yeah. like, you know, from my wife to my two boys, like none of them are really that impressed by any of like the streetwear stuff or the fashion or, you know, any of the cool things that I get to do. Um, they are, the boys are, they're, they're just really great kids. And so I think they are, you know, the older one's more to sports and it, he might yeah. get into that kind of a realm. And the younger one is an artist. And he's been telling me lately that he wants to be an entertainer or some kind of creative person. And yeah. I'm like, cool. I'm like, you know what? And he's just like, but I just don't know what it is exactly yet. And I'm like, you know what? That The world might not know what it is. Like, it might not exist. Yeah. So, like, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a cartoonist. That's all. I, and the understanding of what a cartoonist was was Jim Davis of Garfield or Bill Watterson with Calvin and Hobbes. I loved those comics. And so that was the only understanding or the frame of what a cartoonist could be. A cartoon was either Saturday morning cartoon that you watched animated, a certain 2D flat animation, or it was like a colorful Sunday comic. And those were the two paths that you had available as an option. 
And what I didn't foresee, and no one did, is that the internet happened. The internet allowed me to express all my different interests into merchandise and product and tell stories. And like, now it gave me a forum, it gave me a new medium to work within. And now I am a cartoonist. I've sold many t-shirts featuring this cartoon bomb. And he's become a really big character in Web3 and in the NFT space. And it's awesome. Like, I still became a cartoonist, but it wasn't through the traditional Sunday morning comics. And, you know, that medium kind of puttered out anyways and so like we don't know what's waiting for us around the corner you know some people have dreams and they're like i don't know how i'll ever realize them i'm like probably in the paradigm and the system that you're thinking of right now it probably won't work you know like there's very high chance that you're not going to make it that way but what you might not see is in a month a year or 10 years there might be some kind of shift in the culture to where there's like a way that it works for you to do that thing in a different type of technology or new innovation or just some kind of like shift in the social climate to where people want that from you. And so like, it doesn't mean that you're not meant to do that intended thing. It just means that it's not ready for you yet. And it's all about timing. Yeah. I know. I know we talked to you before about this off the pod about um, the metaverse and NFTs. Um, NFTs, they cause, they hurt the environment because of all electricity and all those different things they're using. And then we, we were talking, you were saying how like not making clothes anymore because that probably has a worse impact on the planet than actually what NFTs have. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, sense, it's, right? Yeah, it's hard to within the um, just within like the immediate scope to compare what's more harmful for the environment yeah, or yeah, not, yeah. because then you can get into, well, like how much Netflix are you watching? Do you understand like what True. that co- costs the environment? Because all these things are operated off of servers and computers True. and, um, the, <laughs> you know, and then if you look, if you break down clothing, like the oils that go into the materials and Damn. like just shipping back and forth on the airplanes and the, there's so much carbon footprint for every t-shirt is about 30 miles of gas in a car that, you know, the equivalent of how much, um, to- like how toxic it is for the environment. Wow. Uh, 10% of the world's pollution is and waste is dedicated. It's coming directly from the fashion industry. If you look at all the Chilean uh, landfills, it's all just you know, fast fashion that's filling those things. And so fashion is in like an ex- incredibly wasteful and harmful industry for the world and so we need to think of and the reality is is that we have enough fashion there's enough apparel on this planet to last us for two generations we don't need more clothes like again all the clothes that are in your closet right now that'll suit you just fine for pretty much the rest of your life i'm sure you have a jacket that'll work for the next like 10 to 15 years like most of those t-shirts will last the same Um, and so, and then if you need to re up, you can actually just buy secondhand. So we don't need any new clothes. Um, so I think we need to first establishing that second, the, on the crypto and the NFT side, NFTs, um, the more popular ones, the ones that we do, especially they are on the Ethereum network and the Ethereum network up until very recently was on a certain system that, uh, uh, required a lot of energy. And there was a shift. It was um, it was called the merge, and the merge happened about a month or two ago now. And so it eliminated ninety nine point nine percent of that energy waste. And so wow. um, to make NFTs now, it's cheaper than watching it, sending an email or any of that. And so that argument's wow. kind of deflated. Okay, that was um, uh, that was an achievement and a progression and advancement that they had been talking about for a number of years. And so when we got into NFTs, we knew that in the immediate, 
that uh, there were going to be waste. But the larger goal, if we're trying to get to a better place, like we do have to start from somewhere and that eventually this would get fixed, it got fixed. Okay. And so um, if you're getting to NFTs now, it's like zero waste, essentially, especially on some of these other chains, there's even less waste. Um, yes, when you have to use computers in order to participate in crypto. So those are going to you know, consume electricity. And so we do need to be mindful of that. But yeah, in the broader scheme of things, if we're going up against fashion, and the reason why I'm pitting the two together and I'm comparing crypto to fashion is that, and this, this sounds insane if you're not in the space, and especially if you haven't read a lot of the things I've written over the last two years, but you know, a lot of what fashion is for these days, it's not for its utilitarian purposes. You know, many years ago, people bought clothing for a specific reason. It was to insulate from the elements. It was to provide protection and coverage. Um, but over the last several, you know, say three to 400 years, this term fashion came around. Fashion was, um, what it was, was really just tailoring. Yeah. And tailoring was taking, do you remember like, back in the day like centuries ago like clothing was just like loose robes and like yeah. if you imagine like ancient greece like totally. everyone was wearing togas and men yeah. and women kind of dressed the same yeah so there was a period of time like a few centuries ago where tailoring was invented tailoring was pretty much the first fashion technology and what tailoring did was it pinned the clothes a little bit closer to the body and so now you could define the difference you could dist distinguish who was a man and who was a woman and it created mm. gender roles and what that did was it started making people start being more aware of themselves. Whereas before it was all about community and we're all a part of a greater thing. People started thinking more of the individual gotcha. and they wanted to be more expressive of who they were. And so that was the very beginning of not just fashion, but of identity expression. And that was also very much the beginning of a lot of the gender roles of like, well, my body is apparently very much different from yours. And how do I drape my clothing differently to express that? Mm. And now we've had many centuries of fashion now to we've gotten to a point where why do we actually even have or make clothes anymore? Because we don't need it. Obviously, I've already uh, I've said that piece about we have enough clothing now. Yeah. If it's just about its utilitarian purpose of like keeping us warm when it's cold outside or to protect us from exposure, like we already have those clothes. So why do we buy new clothes? People buy new clothes because they are trying to ex express who they are identity-wise. Yeah. They are trying to, it's a social badge. It says something about their values. It says something about like where they might stand on a political spectrum. It says that they're a skateboarder or they listen to rap music or you're wearing a Kendrick merch hoodie. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm wearing like a bugging shirt. So like <laughs> I love hardcore, right? Yeah. So these are all things that we're trying to express to the world it's our art yeah. and you can accomplish almost all of those things through nfts now just the same way in the online universe not in the physical world i totally get it but in terms of like who you are online you can do that through nfts and so why do we need to go and make all this clothes and all these clothes and create all this physical waste when we can just do it digitally and it creates almost zero waste you wow. know if it's if you're spending a, a significant amount of time living in an online world whether it's on zooms all day or facetiming or texting your friends um or whether it's watching tiktok or instagrams or just watching youtube and netflix like you're pretty much immersed already in a very digital experience yeah. in a digital life and so if you're already there and you want to express who you are in this capacity in these different social arenas 
you can do that through NFTs. Like they're not going to see the physical clothes you're wearing right now, but they are going to see the pictures that you're posting, what's in your avatar, mm -hmm. the tweets that you're sharing. Like that is your fashion now. And those are, can now be owned as NFTs. So like there's stuff that you might be not, I couldn't afford a pair of something shoes I wanted to get in the real world, but I could be rocking those in the metaverse. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, that was one Some of my Jordan ones or something. That was Rich one ones. of my very early arguments. There came a point in time with sneaker collecting, especially because of the sneakers app where look, when we were into sneakers, let's say like 20, 25 years yeah. ago, um, it was a completely different game. It was totally. an admiration of the product. There was like a nostalgia built in. We actually cared about the storytelling and the design and like which designer worked on it, which artists had collaborated. Like all these things were very meaningful and they were story told, right? There was like very deep narratives entrenched in the actual product. And that's why we wanted the shoes. Yeah. And then there was a hunt and a thrill of like getting the product of like actually geographically, like going the distance, like lining up at the store, like getting the shoes and then wearing them. Like the strongest flex with an expensive sneaker was wearing them because what you were telling the world is I know these shoes cost $300 and I could get $300 from, but like, I'm so rich. I mean, even though we weren't, but it was like <laughs> the posturing we were doing was totally. just like, I, I don't need the $300. I can wear these. It's like, Whoa, that's crazy. You're wearing those shoes right now that's expensive like that was the most insane flex obviously a lot of that changed over the years because of the resale market and how like stock x works and the flipping works and especially how sneakers works and kids what they started to do was they started using instagram to show the shoes that they had bought yeah. right and not even having to wear them and then flipping them right away and then it just became diluted down to just a screen grab of a got em. you know a got them on right, sneakers app right. you know and that meant just as much as what i would do with like a pair of jeff mcfedridge van vandals in like 2002 you know walking out of undefeated on the la brea with them on that Damn. type of posturing and that type of self-expression is the equivalent of if a shoe drops on nike sneakers app and i win them and i screen grab it and i post it and it tells the same amount of people in fact it tells even more people because online we have much many more followers than in real life in yeah. physical world we have like just a few like close friends right sure. and so online we can share to a broader audience like look i have these i'm cool so i was like able to get them you weren't right and so if you're not it's not even about the physical product anymore because most of the time those people aren't even wearing the shoes they don't even crack the box open they get in in the mail and they send it right to stock x right man. and so like if it's not about actually even touching the shoes anymore and it's just a digital representation of what it is that makes you quote unquote better or cooler Flexing, than the yeah. next kid then why do we even need to make the shoes at that point yeah right and like all the waste that it takes to create that pair of shoes what if we just skip that part and just jump right to the social posturing part which is i was lucky enough or cool enough to be gifted these and here's a photo of it or an image and then i can sell that image and now what you're talking about is nfts wow you just sell that image yeah that's fucking crazy man right and i'm not saying and people are just like well that's really disheartening or this found this sounds like very dystopian it's i'm not saying that. i'm an advocate for any of this i'm not saying yeah. like this is better it's just different you know i think we've both been around long enough now to you know, fight technology and be like, oh, what was wrong with physical telephones? Or for me, it's always the BlackBerry. I feel like technology topped out at the BlackBerry. Yeah. I'm like, I wish we just stopped it there. It was perfect. I love physical buttons on things. And no sidekicks? Uh, 
I never had a sidekick. Okay, okay. But the BlackBerry, I think, kind of happened sick. after, you know? Yeah. And BBM was just like our close-knit crew of people. And there's mm-hmm. like, you know, something really remarkable about the BlackBerry. You could drive and type at the same time because you could like feel the buttons. Oh, yeah. You know? So like the BlackBerry was it. There was no social media on there. There's no surfing the internet. And so there's no video, right? And so like that was like the peak. That's like all the technology we needed. And then I feel like <laughs> we went further. And I'm like, look, I can fight it all I want. And say that it just wasn't, it's not the same and like it should be better. And I could do that, but I'm not here. I'm not going to fight the internet. You know, I'm going to lose that battle. Totally. So it's just like, these are the things that are happening. Let's figure out ways that they can be, they can enhance our lives and better our lives. If our, if our phone is going to be immersed on a screen. And this is one of the reasons why I do champion the metaverse. I think a lot of the metaverse speak is pretty bogus and very much full of itself and it's going to pretty much materialized me nothing facebook today um there's their numbers are like crashing um because you know i don't think enough people believe in this metaverse even internally at facebook i think only about 51 to 53 percent of the employees actually understand mark zuckerberg's vision of what the metaverse is going to be yeah um it's very hard for people to wrap their minds around but the one aspect of it that i think is actually quite compelling is one where you're already if we're already immersed in these virtual environments on zooms all day facetimes if we're ordering food off of postmates why don't we just make the experience a little bit more interesting (laughs) like if i'm already spending 15 minutes on postmates trying to decide what to order for dinner like can it just be a little bit of a prettier experience and what that means is right now for most food food apps when you open it up it just looks like a sterile menu yeah it's just a white background with some font you can't tell the difference between like a blackened salmon and like a poke bowl it's like all the same (laughs) font you know like food foods are fonts and you're just like this is not appetizing it's not a fun experience i don't know why i should eat here of course, most people don't eat like that when they go out to eat. They walk yeah. into a restaurant, the decor says something about the restaurant. There's an interaction with the people in the restaurant. You see who's eating there. That informs a lot of how the food tastes. And then you get to actually see the food that you're eating, yeah. right? And then it actually like adds and lends to the experience. So instead of just having these sterile Postmates and Uber Eats and DoorDash apps, what if there's metaverse experiences that are somewhat akin to that? You'll spend the same amount of time. But you can actually like digitally walk into a digital version of that restaurant, get a feel for what their attitude is and their aesthetic. You might run into Toby, digital Toby, who's also ordering dinner. Like, yo, you're ordering off of here right now. What are you getting? Dude, I got the blackened vegetables last time. You're not <laughs> eating salmon. So I'm like, you got the broccoli last time or whatever the a, a great vegan dishes. And I'm like, oh, I, I never thought to try that. And because you recommended it to me, I ordered. I can see it in the metaverse or a digital representation of it. It gets delivered to my door just the same as Postmates does. Yeah. On the back end, it's all the same app. And then when I'm eating it, I'm thinking of you because I'm like, oh, Toby suggested this. I trust Toby's taste. I, I miss Toby eating the food. Like all of that colors the experience. Mm. And so that's all the metaverse. Like that's the part of the metaverse that is interesting to me where I'm like, yeah. if we're going to do a Zoom, why can't it just be like a better looking Zoom? You know, like, let's just be a little bit more immersive instead of like the same interface. I can't believe Zoom hasn't really updated their interface, your UI UX over the last, like through the entire pandemic has been kind of the same. And I'm like, you guys could probably improve this experience a little bit, make us look a little bit more realistic instead of the same angle. You know, that's all the metaverse is. Okay. Yeah. And how how much time do you spend in there? Um, I mean, depending, depending on how you define what the metaverse is, like, because people are like, oh, I don't 
the, the, the true expression of metaverse to me is when there's a really blurry line and you can't tell where your physical life ends and your virtual life begins. And to me, I feel like we're already there. I feel, I feel like, like we've so been too. there like for the last 10 years. Yeah. Right now I'm talking to you in person, like in physical world, but a lot of my mind is carrying on conversations that I've been having digitally, right? And a lot of my friendships, like so much of our friendship, especially over the pandemic, was held up by digital rebar, right? It was not even like physical interactions. It was true. like so much of it was fonts that we were sharing and words that we were exchanging online. So true. Right? And so like that to me is already the metaverse. It's almost like if your brain is like stuck between both worlds, and it is. Like so much of my knowledge, so much of my friendship bases and relationships almost all of my work is done online now. And like, I don't discern a difference. It's not like my brain goes, there was a time, right? There was a time where we did discern a difference between the two. Yeah. Right. Like 20 years ago, I remember, you know, having friends in AOL chat rooms or oh, God, this is longer. I'm, da <laughs> I'm dating, rooms. I'm dating myself or like ICQ <laughs> or like aim where it was like, yo, who's that guy? And I'm like, Oh, that's my online buddy. That's my yeah, internet friend. That's, right. that's what we used to say. Like, right. that's my friends friend. That's my MySpace friend. And like, what's up with Toby? Oh, yeah, yeah. Toby's like my my real friend. Like I see Toby. But and then there's my Internet friend. Mm. Now we don't make a difference. Your Internet friend is your friend. It's true. Right. Man. And so like at some point we just kind of wipe that boundary between and people who I've never met are like really close friends of mine because of the Internet. And then I have really close friends of mine who I haven't seen for 10 years who I keep up with through all my socials and I know them better than people that I physically see every day. So what is the difference between physical and digital at that point? It's just all metaverse. It's kind of, it's kind of wild, man, right? It's, yeah. I think it's, is it scary? Is it, is it, is it healthy for us? I don't know. Like I don't have, for our I tried our with a lot of this stuff. It's moving so fast. You know, I don't, I try not to have too much judgment when I'm looking at it. Yeah. You know, obviously I'm a really nostalgic and sentimental person. I think everything was better back in the day. Of course. Right. Like, cause just the way that my mind colors it, you know, it was just better when things were simpler because I didn't have less worries and, mm -hmm. you know, the world seemed like it was more chill. It wasn't, you know, like when we talk about like the problem with saying make America great again, we're hearkening back to like a 50s type of America. Yeah. That was great for a certain kind of person, but it wasn't for many other kinds of people. True. And I think we're actually in probably one of the best eras of human existence. I really do believe that, you know, like just uh infant deaths are down like that used to be a huge plague right like diseases yeah. are down there's medication now medicine global medicine has now expanded around the world more people are educated than ever um like these are all really positive movements technology especially in the west has always been painted as a negative thing as a dark thing we have a very black mirror relationship with technology but you look at technology in regions like india or places that were underserved with technology for many years like it's being transformative it's helping so many people yeah. right and it's like breaking a lot of barriers and a lot of people are getting to speak out on things that they never were before and we're seeing a lot of social upheaval because people are finally getting opportunities getting and voices. like they never had they're, voices. they're having voices again yeah. but these are all very progressive and positive changes that are provided yes. by technology we didn't have that before. And so um, I, you know, I can I can say I can pinpoint all of the problems that come with tech, especially social yeah. over the last like especially over the last like two to three years, three to five years. Right. Like there's a lot of dark moments of it. Um, but I think in the grander scope, I uh, these things it's just hard to say what's good or bad. Let's just say that they're happening yeah. and let's try to understand it. And um, if there are parts about it that bother you, there's many parts of it that for me, uh, what's the most problematic is how socially isolating most social media is. 
and people are more feeling more alone than ever. Um, statistically, this is the loneliest we've ever been. Wow. Right. And most people, especially like at our age, I think the majority now claim that they don't have a, an actual single true friend. Right. And so we're mm-hmm. surrounded by acquaintances and we have like strong networks of followers. Um, very few like meaningful relationships and friendships. And we, we kind of have lost the art of doing that because that takes a lot of work. And it's not easy and weird yeah. technology. The whole point of technology is to be efficient and make, you know, smooth friction and make it so that we can do things faster and not, with not having to do the work. Unfortunately, some really good things take time and some yeah. good things like friendships, they take a lot of work and sweat and tears and you got to like fight through and you can't just pull the ripcord and bounce. Like you really got to invest if you want a good friend, yeah. if you want a good partnership or a marriage or any of that, like you really got to invest. It's not easy. Technology, there's no way to resolve. There's no tech out there to improve your marriage. I'm sorry. No, like <laughs> you got to like talk it out. Yeah. You got to like be empathetic. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. um, I think that's the harmful part of social and tech and is that like we are very lonely right now and we're searching for some kind of technology to fix it not going to be there you know some things are really left on us to be humans to fix and um and we we give technology too much credit we always people always because i've always kind of been ahead of the tech trends especially in streetwear and in in our industry of fashion um in the early 2000s it was with blogging and people were like oh this guy's using his blog to amass an audience and then it was instagram early on and, and twitter um, and so people have always come to me, I've get hired to speak at conferences about using technology and yeah. everyone's like, Oh, how do I use that tech? And I'm like, this is where you guys get it wrong. It has nothing to do with the tech. It never did. The tech is just the hammer. It has no soul, right? <laughs> it's a tool. Yeah. And you, you are the art artisan. You're the craftsman. Like yeah. you're the creator. Like you're, it comes from you at the end of the day, it's still about human to human. Yeah. Right. And the technology, all it does, it just facilitates the conversation. Thank God we have these microphones and the computer and the internet to broadcast this podcast out. Yeah. But really, if we weren't here, this would do nothing. The reason why it works is because it's facilitating the conversation between us and it's getting it out to the audience easier. Yeah. But like, we can't say like, oh, thank the only reason why this com- this podcast is successful is because we have better tech. It's not. No. It's always about the conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how much do you limit yourself for how much you're on your phone during the day? Or is this, is it 20? Are you always on, not on call, but you're always, when you get home, do you shut it off? Uh, shut, I shut do. Off? I've been better about shutting it off. It's I hard, Sometimes man. I use... Um, I forget what that box is called. It's like a time lock box. Okay. Yeah. So we have those around the house. I have them in the office. And sometimes if I feel like I can, I'm pretty sensitive to like I'm spending too much time on TikTok, I'll drop it in there and for three hours can tune it out. Um, so you lock it in the box? I'll lock it in the box. Wow. Yeah. I don't have enough discipline. No one does. It's I need, impossible. I need, to, I need to get one of those boxes. Like if sure. you've watched The Social Dilemma, like you're, you're fighting an impossible battle. You're never going to get sucked. You're not, like, good luck unhooking yourself from heroin. It's like, crazy. Like, by you yourself. Watch, you you know? watch that doc, you're like, oh my God, this is crazy. Then, like, you're still on your phone after you watch it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like researching it on your phone because your whole life is like, I got to go to the store. I don't, I got to use ways to get there. I got to pay with my Apple Pay. So, like, our lives are very well integrated and meshed. Body, and it's bro. just a part of the body. Yeah. But I try to be mindful. Um, thankfully, like, I love writing. There are certain tasks that yeah. I do that uh, I've, I know I can just get, like, 
if I stay off my phone, like the writing will be really good. Yeah. And that always feels better to me than any phone time. I know surfing, surfing yeah, I was gonna talk is about surfing. Yeah. the best, right? It's like the best feeling in the world. You can't have your phone out there. No, man. And so, and, and that feels better than any time I spend on the phone. And so like, I don't miss the phone there. So um, I think my average time, I could probably look it up on my phone is like three to four hours a day. Okay. Yeah, total yeah. phone time. Yeah. Um, and there, yeah, I mean, I've, there's been seasons in the past where it was like half of my day and yeah. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel productive and wasn't proud of anything I was doing and also was becoming very annoying in all my group chats. And like, mm. I don't want to be that guy. You know, I still am that guy. Do you, do you, did you ever check out like, were you ever a guy that gave a shit about comments or message boards or any kind of negative stuff? Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sensitive. Me too. You know? And so, so like if you see something, do you take it personal? Do you respond to that person? Or? It's hard not to. I think um, starting off in streetwear, you know, yeah. being in streetwear for 20 years and listening to that kind of feedback really prepared me and numbed me. Also like being one of three brothers and my, yeah. my dad also just being like pretty rough with us growing up. Like we kind of have thick skin, but yeah. Um, yeah, man, of course some one, you know, I have like a pretty thick armor, but once in a while something kind of slips through the cracks and really gets me at the wrong time on the wrong day. And it's always like something that it's kind of not even that important, but it's just like the, it's just the moment they sometimes catch me and then I just fester and I dwell on that. And it's, it's not even, it's not like I'm even like being defensive or trying to like, uh, correct them and say like, no, you, you know, it's more just like, man, that was just really mean. Yeah. Like that was mean. And I just, I like living in a, in a bubble where I'm like, everyone is just positive and happy. Same. To, but it's Same. obviously like, I'm not like that all the time. I'm Me very, either. I'm like an irritable person. Uh-huh. I'm in a bad mood, like You're half human, the time yeah. human. And so like that person was irritable in a bad mood. Maybe something happened at the job and they just wanted to say it. And they took it out on me and like, I caught him and he caught me or they caught me at that moment. And, and do you respond sometimes? I used to respond a lot more. I, think I remember seeing you respond back in the day, but not yeah. I used to respond to it a lot more. Um, I just, what I've done, and I don't think it's necessarily better. I just, I'm like, I don't have time. Yeah. Like, I just don't have time to entertain it or indulge in it. And I, I really don't. I'm yeah. so busy. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, sometimes I think it is good to like open up the exchange because once in a yeah. while I will meet them where they are and be yeah. like, hey, what you said was hurtful and it wasn't actually accurate. And I would say nine out of 10 times when I do that, we come out of the other side feeling like much closer to that human. Oh, I do at least, you know? And so I actually become like more hopeful and loving of humanity if I actually take the time to do that. Yeah. So I just really have been too busy to engage, but um, that's also good. You got to protect your mental health. You do. And sometimes people just want your attention. They want your advice. They want to talk. Yeah. Just something, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think everyone, especially I noticed this, well, most of my audience, 90% of my audience is young men. Yeah. And um, I don't think we've been taught very well how to communicate. And maybe that's just how we're genetically predispositioned. Good point. You know, but for whatever reason, we're just not great communicators in that specific regard. I think we communicate in other ways. Yeah. Like everyone's just like, oh, you're like a good communicator, like on a podcast or like expressive through writing or whatever. Yeah. But if you ask my wife, I'm a really poor communicator. Mm. Right. If you ask my kids, like I, I drive my kids to school in the morning and I don't say a word because, you know, I don't know how to communicate in that regard. Wow. So I think there's generations of men who just don't know how to do that. It's not really prioritized and it's not really even looked at. We're just kind of like, oh, that's just how men are. 
but the thing is like we're human we're still seeking connection we're still trying to be heard and so it's very frustrating for young guys i think yeah because they're like dude i have all this emotion i feel a certain way I'm not really allowed the opportunity or given the skill sets to express these feelings. And so how am I going to connect with Toby or with Bobby? I don't know how to just be like professional about it. I'm going to just be mean because being mean men have been taught our entire lives always gets a reaction, right? So we pick on the girl that we think is cute or mean to them because it gets, it stokes a reaction. We're like, Oh, well that worked. And it might get to a kinder place, but it always starts off from like a really like a nastier place. Yeah. And so guys do that. Like I do that with my own friends where I'm just, you know, right when they come in, I'm like, what's up, idiot? You know, and just (laughs) you're like mean and like cruel. And sometimes you go too far, you know, and you're like, oh, shoot, why was I doing that? It's just we don't know how to communicate properly. And so. I, again, nine out of 10 times, when, especially when it's like a young guy saying something to me, mean to me and you engage, yeah. they always come back around. They're like, oh my God, I never thought you'd respond. I don't even know why I said that. Yes. I didn't even mean it. Uh, I don't know what's going on. And they have this weird out of body experience where they're just like, holy shit. I'm a fan. I can't be responded to me. Thank yeah, you why so did, much. And then they're just like, thank you so much for being kind and generous. And I'm like, no problem. Just next time. If you're trying to get someone's attention, like this is not going to be the best way. Obviously, it worked this time, but you're you're planting a lot of negative seeds out there and you're kind of like ruining people's days. It's not worth it. Like just try a different route, you know, just be like, hey, I'm a fan or I really enjoyed it. Like, don't be mean, even though it does get attention. It really hurts people. Yeah, because we're sensitive souls and we do what we love and we have our we're passionate about and this is is our lives. And so it's like. We take it really personal. Yeah. I've been studying a lot about rejection sensitivity because I have like gnarly ADHD. And that's like a really strong feature of having attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is that you're sensitive to rejection in a way where it's almost debilitating sometimes. Wow. And like, I wish I wasn't. You know, I wish I wasn't like this. Like uh, Ben always jokes around because I have like a list that's like easy to get on, impossible to get off. Right. It's like (laughs) one person. And I always call these things invisible wars. Like someone like does something to slight me or hurt, harm me or like hurt me, offend me in in a way that I perceive. They don't even mean it that way most of the time. Mm. But I take it like that. We take it. Right. And then I start I start this invisible war where I'm beefing with someone they don't even know. Wow. You know, and like I've carried on invisible wars with like so many people that I love. And it's just because of like I have rejection sensitivity. It's because I felt like, oh, you hurt me. And so now I'm going to like fight you in my head. And it's awful. And you never say nothing to him about it? He's keeping no. your mind? And eventually I get over it or something <laughs> happens where I feel like they corrected the mistake and I'm like, cool, we're cool again. But it's like a whole battle I waged in my war by myself. It's so stupid. It's such <laughs> a waste of time and energy. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten better and not doing that. Yeah. But yeah, when I was young, it was bad. And I think it kind of helped me. It like it hurt me a lot of ways in different parts of my creative path and my career. Yeah. A lot of the relationships I built in my community, same. You know, and so, it's just something that I wish I knew I'm trying to share this on this podcast so if you're younger like maybe it can help you maybe if you don't realize you have that like perhaps that can be insightful but rejection sensitivity is a real thing and you kind of if you have it just be mindful of it because you're kind of self-sabotaging and you take medicine for ADHD no, I try not to take any medication just because I'm a man and I hate taking <laughs> medicine. I'm like, I don't need. But would it help? You think? I think so. I mean, I've been. I'd be scared to take something too, man. You know, yeah. I don't, I'd, I'd, I don't want to. I've been, um, you know, full transparency over the last year using psilocybin. 
you know, microdosing off of okay. the psilo gummies. Is that, what is that um, for listeners? Is that mushrooms? Uh, it's mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. But it's just microdosing and you don't get stoned or high. But for me, what it does, it, it tunes out, like I call them the noisy edges. Okay. Right. So I have anxiety and depression. And so um, I'm here and I'm present with you. But if I'm not on psilo, um, I, there's just like a lot of commotion around the fringe. Right. Wow. And so like, there's just like a lot of energy and this is also informing the ADHD. And so what psilocybins do for me is that it just kind of tunes that out. Like I'm really bad on zoom, for example, okay. zooms are impossible for me because I get like so distracted. I'm not taking anything Walking on the, off screen. the screen. Coming yeah. Back. I always, I don't sit down. I'm all, I'm horrible. Don't zoom with me. But if I'm on psilocybin gummies, um, I'm very much present and like, I'm not thinking my brain's not like ping ponging around. And so that's, and it it's, been, it's been really helpful for me. And most everyone I've told to try it, um, they're like, this was a game changer. It saved my life, changed my life. Um, I posted about it the other night and half of the comments that came back were uh, people just saying like, dude, that changed my life and I'm so glad I discovered it. And I think it's interesting listening to Huberman talk about it yeah, a lot lately and yeah. um, definitely listen to him more than me. I'm not a licensed anything in this space. Yeah. Um, this, this is very anecdotal. So I just kind of want to put that out there. I don't want to encourage anyone to like go off and go on a mushroom trip. Yeah. So let's put that disclaimer out there, but like <laughs> maybe listen to Huberman's podcast. Yeah. And, it breaks you know, all just, that down. You know, when in your Spotify search, Huberman and psilocybin, P-S-I-L-O. So psilocybin. And um, it's really interesting. You know, what I think the most interesting part is he kind of sees it as perhaps a solve, a solve or a solution for alcohol use and abuse. Yeah. You know, I think um, alcohol and they talk about this extensively on that podcast alcohol is a poison right and yes. it's it's very dark um you know it leads to domestic abuse sexual abuse it makes people violent and it also ravages the body right and when you're yeah. using it, it's depressant and it can get you into a really dark place whereas with something like a silo or some of these alternative things that people are are more normalizing now um, they come from a very positive place when they leave the system, like you go right back to normal and like it doesn't, you know, I, I, I recommended someone try Silo recently, a good friend and, uh, he stopped smoking half. He's, he would smoke a pack a day. And from the first day he stopped smoking half of the pack. He was like, wow. I only smoked five cigarettes a day. He's like, I don't have that anxiety. I don't have the need. Um, and so like, I think there are a lot of like, maybe there's a lot of energy in that direction that yeah. I think we're going to hear more about in the future. Yeah. I'm sure, um, surfing is very good for you too, as far as stress and anxiety. Oh my God. Surfing, surfing is the thing that really, truly saved my life. You know, um, it's the one place where nobody asks me for anything. <laughs> You're on <laughs> the water. It's peaceful. Yeah. It's peaceful. And, um, I need to also be very much in a zone and concentrating on like one thing. And yeah. there's so much going on with surfing that like you kind of can't turn your back on the ocean. You're just going to get crushed. And so you have to be like kind of laser focused. You have to pay attention to the people around you so you don't hit them. Yeah. And so like it's nice just to be able to have that before I resume my internet life or my working life or like my busy social life and there's all this noise again but yeah. surfing is just the absolute best i think a lot of people are, have found things like that in, over the pandemic like pickle, sure. pickleball and golfing are really big and um and so if you have something like that in your life like good for you like be active like get out there use your body yeah how yeah. long have you been um surfing for mm. 10 uh i would say almost 10 years oh, now wow. yeah I'm 42 now, and I think I started surfing when I was like 33 or 34. Yeah. 
kind of late um, just because I never had access and I never really had permission. You know, no one really taught me. And yeah. so grip skating and snowboarding and I always wanted to surf, um, but just didn't have anyone to take me out there. And, and the Marshalls, uh, Trace and Chad Marshall, who are just legends, they were like, we got to go. And so they took me and I never looked back. Are they surfers? Yeah, they're awesome okay. surfers. I yeah. probably knows who they are. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Malibu legends. Yeah, Max is out there all the time, twice a day. Like I tried it a couple of times during the pandemic. And it was really nice, like standing up on the board for the first time with the ocean underneath you. It's something that it's magical. I, I know people talk about like being in the ocean and being connected to the earth. It, it's really true. Yeah. It's yeah. so different than skating, man. It's, just, it's totally different. It's a different yeah. thing. In, in my brain, skating is kind of like golf for whatever reason. It's like kind of okay. like solving puzzles. And mm. um, I don't know. Surfing is like a completely different animal. It is. That man. has to do with like nature and energy. And, you know, like a lot of it sounds like kind of hokey. But, but it's not. Really what's happening in that moment of a wave, like anytime you see it, it's three of the four elements meeting, right? It's the earth, which is shaping the water above it. Yeah. So it's earth because underneath there's like the way the sand is formed dictates how the wave looks. Yeah. Right. And the shape of the wave. So it's the earth and the water above it. And the water's coming from storm somewhere far out. Right. The, the, the waves are. And so that type of turbulence is coming from some kind of wind and storm off, you know, far out in the distance. And so when the wave breaks, it's all three of those elements colliding in a moment. And then to ride on top of that, like you feel that energy where you're like, whoa, there's nothing like this. That's just like that I can ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's ride. electric. It's, it's so electric and it's like, it's kind of control. Obviously, you know how to focus on like ride the board, but it's like, it's 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 riding you it's a weird thing that you're on top of it you just yeah with it. it's fucking unreal man it is i and i think it's a sp- specific personality type that is attracted to it and sticks with it it's not for everyone i think you know i don't want to put it out there like oh, everyone should surf because really all, <laughs> number one i definitely don't want all of you in the water uh yeah but number two it's just really it's really hard it's, it's really, really hard. hard and it's the most counterintuitive it's almost dumb when you watch this sport because mother nature is spitting you back out into the sand. If you watch what's actually happening out in the ocean, if you just drop something out there, it's going to eventually push it to shore because it's like, get out of here. It's kind of like a foreign object invading the body. And then eventually your skin will like push it out. Right. That's what's happening with the ocean. But surfers are constantly jumping back into it. And it just goes against all human nature to do that. And it doesn't make any sense. But that's the that's true love and passion where it's like this hurts, it's hard, it's taxing. I might die, I might die, I might die, but I can't <laughs> stop doing it. Like that is inexplicable and that's passion and like everyone should have a love like that in their life. Yeah, you ever see sharks out there or anything? Always. Yeah. Really? Not always, but it's like dolphins, not obviously. uncommon. Always dolphins for sure. And dolphins are really fun, like especially out here in, at the breakwater in Venice um santa monica they'll come up and they'll bump your board and they'll play with wow, you and strong too, and they're man. strong and dolphins can also be very dangerous I and they're like too. highly intelligent creatures they're like aliens yeah um but uh yeah you will see sharks out there they're usually off in the distance they're usually like juniors are like six to seven foot and so they're not really a threat um you know the the sharks everyone's worried about the great whites that are like 12 yes. foot like yeah that happens too that's uh, a little bit rare um, but the actual, just like the, the baby sharks, like you'll see them, especially just with the climate changing, they're getting a little bit closer. Yeah. There's more people in the water now, uh, surfing than ever. So sharks are kind of, um, around people more. So yeah, that's a part of the game. I know. 
I just went to your family style fest the other day. We yeah. and Chappelle went. It was awesome. Um, how many years has that been going for now? Uh, it's been so. It's hard to say. It's it's our third real one. We started in 2019. The intent right. was to do it every year. Uh, the pandemic happened. Yeah. So 2020 and most of 2021, we didn't do a family style. But what we did was we pivoted to do these drive-in movie theater experiences yes. where we brought food to your car. Car we called it drive-through. Um, those are very successful. We were the cool. first event at SoFi Stadium. Uh, we were one of the first events back that LA County used to kind of test to see what a real life event would look like and um, going through health protocols and whatnot. And so we were a big part of uh, live events coming back after that. Wow, thank you. And then um, Family Style 2021 happened last fall and Family Style 2022 just happened um, this two weekends ago. And what Family Style is for people who don't know is uh, we love food and yeah. we're always looking for ways to bring people together. That's the the community part of the hundreds. We've always been a community driven brand. And when we're looking at it, we're like, what better way than great fruit food? You know, yeah. people, food has united warring nations. Food has brought romantic couples together. Food is done for business meetings. We're going to go eat dinner tonight. Like yep. this is what friends do. So what if we got the world's best food in one place and brought all our friends together? It would just be one big gathering. And so that's what Family Style was. It was a food festival, but also combined with streetwear. So all of the chefs get to collaborate with streetwear designers and personalities. And so this year we had Yazawa. It's very popular prestigious Japanese restaurant in Los Angeles work with Hiroshi Fujiwara and Fragment, right? Japanese streetwear design legend. Um, we had Antisocial Social Club collaborating with Jollibee, you know? So yeah. like high and low, just really fun stuff. Anthrax and Crossroads and Brooklyn Projects. That's right. Crossroads. Crossroads always gets really great projects. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first year was GB. Yeah. And uh, it was Gorilla Biscuits. And then the second year it was Babylon. Um, Babylon. Yeah. 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 And so. Um, yes, McCharlie's. So it was a huge line of McCharlie's there. Charlie was there. Yeah. And people always ask us, they're like, is there any vegan? I'm vegan. Are there any vegan yeah. offerings? And this was the, I think this year there were more vegan offerings than not. It was, was like lot, the majority, man. almost every restaurant had a vegan option. So cool. And uh, we had multiple vegan exclusive restaurants like Mr. Charlie's, like Crossroads, like. Um, Anyways, they were all over the board. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was nice. It was like such a diverse group of people. It was, it was awesome. And walk around and see anybody and all the cars out front, all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It's just it, it's it's very non-threatening. I think. Yeah. The world that we come from in streetwear, there's a lot of uh, posturing and there's just a lot of attitude and politics and people are being very cool. Too and, cool. And there's some very there's some other really great conferences and conventions out there that are for that where you you know kind of have to be mindful of how you dress and you're always just like I'm not cool enough to be here and all my friends who are like my age are like I'm not going to that I'm not a kid and so yeah. this is like one place that people can go to every year it's accommodating for all ages people are like can I bring my kids I'm like the kids section is usually the most popping like Nancy Silverton served her grilled cheese sandwiches in the kids area uh, that's you cool. know like so we have a really great kids area but then there's also like all the the area for all the streetwear kids and there's like D DJs and they're doing their thing and then kind of like the older folks who are just really there for the food they get the vip and they have picnic benches and they just enjoy a day yeah. and so most people that good friends of ours and people who come every year they're like this is the best day of the year so we just started calling it best day of the year and all the signage so cool man yeah it was just all posi vibes super positive good music and yeah i saw a bunch of friends there and it was just I went there late, like on a Sunday. Is it all three? Is it three days? Uh, it's just one day. Oh, it's just a Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, I just okay. want to do it one day. You know, that's, we're, that's kind of the hope is just like, that's the one day. And then you can get back to your weekend and your work week or yeah. whatever you're doing. Like, I don't want to have to like distract you for longer than that. What about this is not a podcast. 
this is not a pod. Well, that was a podcast I was doing in 2019. <laughs> yeah. It was like 10 episodes. It was dedicated to my memoir. This is not a t-shirt. Yeah. And so there were different chapters within that book that reflected um, different people's stories. Like Fred Durst was on yeah. it for one episode and Keenan Thompson. I had really, really great um, characters that entered, that gave me their time, which I'm, I'm appreciative of now. Um, I haven't done a podcast, my own podcast since. since. Wow. Yeah, I haven't. And, um, you know, every now and then I think about doing it. I think this requires a lot of work. So totally. kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah. Like this is not easy. Everyone's always just like, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. I'm a like, lot of time, man. it's a lot of time. I don't know if I have like the spirit or the passion to do that consistently. You got to do it for years before yeah, you see any type of, you know, real effect True. on an audience. And, um, I like talking. I really like listening to podcasts though. Yeah. And uh, if I do have something to say, I just will like go on be, somebody else. Go on someone else's. So it's just like, That's you want to listen to me? Just search me up. Like you you can hear me on a different podcast. Talking about so I just had that girl Brooklyn on there. Thanks to you. Yeah. She was amazing, man. Her story and everything. Her story's and great. Tell me about her. Like, yeah. So cool. She's the best. Yeah. She's super sweet. And there's, I just love. She has a new shoe coming out next week. Yeah. It's just cool, like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously getting older and older in the game, and but I still have to be very mindful of youth culture. Yeah. And um, I'm just so inspired by people like her and yes. the bands that we were talking about. There's a new generation of hardcore that's coming in that's really, really restoking and reinvigorating my love for hardcore in a way I just never considered before. Yeah. Right? Like, I never thought about hardcore in that way. I never heard it sound like this. I didn't know merch could be like, I didn't know a show can move like this. Yeah. And so it's just like I never lose that curiosity or fervor for it. And same thing's happening in skateboarding with people like Brooklyn or in streetwear with like younger brands that are coming up. I'm like, man, this is so cool. And um, I don't know, keeps me young and it keeps me jazzed. And I love waking up every morning because we have these kids out there on the front lines doing the work and being reckless and you know hating the establishment and the, <laughs> yeah. the hegemony and there's like anti everything i'm like oh i love that you know i know i, I, love I, went, I went to the sound and fury and we talk about they were like flat spot records and all the great bands they have and just seeing this young generation of like yeah hardcore bands all looking like all, all walks of life some streetwear kids some punks some skins like straight edge people who aren't like oh, it's just so diverse man like a lot of girl singers in bands right now killing it and just, yeah it's just so cool to and watch. And it's so normal. It's like, what did we have back in the day? Like donuts? Yeah. You know? that's, yeah, there was, really, there was nothing like that. There's nothing like that. And it was just like, oh, weird. Like a woman singing. Like, But now it's just and like. It's hard too. The music's like hard. It's oh like my God. Corner, sheer terror. Like yeah. breakdowns and like. Yeah. It's, it's and so And it sounds good. so good. I know. Yeah. It, it makes me so happy. And like, and my son's like finding out about new young hardcore bands out here. I just feel like, I, I haven't been living in New York in like 20 years, but it seems like California is really thriving. Yeah. Like, it shows all the time and cool spots. Yeah. There's a record store called The Midnight Hour. I went to it last week to see Jail and Robo Salt in San Fernando. I've never been there in my life. Oh my on gosh. You're night. Deep Valley. Oh yeah, on a Tuesday night <laughs> packed. It was so freaking cool. It was a record store, man. That's so great. And just seeing kids putting on the shows and just everything just comes full circle, you know, like Yeah. It's it's we were talking about this before the podcast began, but it is just so remarkable to me that the scene is still alive, bigger, yeah. bigger than ever. Yeah. And then, ban and then we get bands like Turnstile, which are 
what you were saying is arguably the next Nirvana, right? We're happening. We're watching it happen, and it all came because of hardcore. And hardcore was the entire point of hardcore. From from what I remember growing up, was you know it was never intended to be mainstream. Like that was like the antithesis. We were never welcome into that room. And then now to see like bands like hardcore bands performing on live night late night talk shows yeah, which you, you you did that already with h2 on Thank the past you. yeah dude but i gotta no, i gotta acknowledge that you you paved the way <laughs> but you know i mean coachella i'm like opening for blink next year and like i've seen turnstile like six times on this record yeah and every time they come back it's a bigger venue and there's like two nights and they're sold out it's and crazy like, just seeing like how they transcended into uh just a different world, man. Yeah, yeah, and they somehow they just hit a, a nerve, you know, with the with the culture and just how people are feeling right now, especially young people, in a way that I'm like, I don't even quite get what's happening. It's getting bigger than I ever even anticipated. I I love Turns, I've loved them forever, but it's just like I didn't even foresee this coming. Something's happening where they're speaking to the youth in a way that no other music is right now, and like that's for them. And I just love that it's there. Yeah, and I know I'm old. I'm 52, and I can still go see them play, and there'll be older people there. I'm not like the oldest guy in the crowd. Like, yeah, there's people that appreciate. It. There's also like hardcore gatekeepers that you know have their opinions on new hardcore and what that's supposed to sound like to them. Yeah. But I was talking to this today with um, um, Norman today. Like hardcore is it, it's not a particular sound. It's way it's it's become way more than that. It's it, that name gets thrown around all the time. Hardcore, but it's like what is really hardcore? Is it? It's not. It's not a guitar riff. It's not. It's mm. just. It's something that's in you. It's something the way you live your life. It's, you know, the ethics and the DIY, just everything. I don't know. It's something yeah. magical. I say the same with streetwear is that if the more you try to define it, it defies all those laws, right? Yeah. And so, like, the more you try to pigeonhole, the more you try to push it into a corner, it's going to evade that. And I remember that with a lot. Of, I had a lot of problems with skateboarding at certain periods because everyone's like, well, this is what skateboarding is. And there's like thrasher skateboarding, this skateboarding. And I'm like, the more rules you guys are putting around this, it's making it less cool for sure. Because <laughs> the whole point of skateboarding is no rules, exactly. right? And, um, same and, with punk. And same with punk. Yeah. And same with hardcore. And so, so much of it isn't actually like a material, tangible, like physical thing. It has a lot to do with attitude points of view right like that's what punk and hardcore are like hardcore is a point of view in life hardcore is an attitude that you bring to your daily you know like and that's the same with streetwear it's like too hard for me to find everyone's like what is streetwear and i'm like it's i can't say what it is it's not it's not a hoodie and and pants like gap makes that and gap makes streetwear too now so it's it's like i don't know what streetwear is but i can tell you what the attitude is i can tell you what it means to people like that's what streetwear is yeah and then so we got a supreme opening up at uh What's it going to be at Blockbuster? What's it going to be? Tower Records. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Tower that's on Sunset. Year, yeah, that, that's going to be a game changer, I think, too. Yeah. As far as that area. Yeah, I think so. Because everything's Fairfax, Fairfax. and Yeah. I think Fairfax has gone through many different revolutions and chapters. And it's, you know, like anything, like technology, it's never going to be what it was. Yeah. Uh, we always want what it was, but it'll never be that. But it'll be something different and new for a next generation. There was a time when Fairfax, when we were coming up and really gaining a lot of attention in the late 2000s and into the early 2010s, um, everyone's just like, oh, Melrose is dead. Right. Like that was kind of the rhetoric out there. If you talk to Dom, especially Dom, yeah. is like, what the fuck? Like you're in my backyard, Fairfax. Like that's part of me, you know? Yeah. And then Melrose actually like stole some of that thunder back. And Melrose became very relevant over round the last five years well. because of round two, because of Dom and the yeah. roots that he laid. And there was like record stores and like the, the restaurants even there. And all of a sudden Melrose, like the cooler spot to be than Fairfax. Yeah. And so, 
Um, everything goes through its generations. Through cycles, and its right? Yeah. And there's like a lot of stuff downtown too. I heard there's like a whole like area of a bunch of different stores. There like, are, yeah. I mean, Dover is down there. Yeah. So yeah, you have like a really lot of cool fashion and streetwear is like so mainstream now. It's just fashion. It's just what kids wear. It used to be a subculture, and now it's just the culture. Yeah, and how do you feel as as being one of the pioneers in that and seeing it change like that? I think there was early on, there was like a lot of frustration, you know, because like me, you know, trying to consider myself a gatekeeper, I wanted to hold things a certain way and it was kind of getting out of my hands. It's like your baby. Yeah, and then you surrender. It's like you don't want your kid to leave the house. Like You want them to have a certain point of view on the world and to eat food a certain kind of way and go to bed at a certain time. And then at a certain point you're like, Oh wait, the whole reason why I was making this to begin with was so that it could leave the house and have a life of its own. And it's the same with street where it's just like, this was never meant for me. (laughs) Like we were building this thing the whole time so that we can let it have its own life and give it to the world. And then the world can appreciate it. Like it was never meant for me. Yeah. And so it's the same. I love that you compared it to the, to having a baby or a child. It is. And any parent will understand that, but it's the same when you're fostering cultures or anything, even bands that you love that you're just like, wait, that was my band. And now they're like mainstream. Obviously, I feel like even that I didn't I don't even think I came in that early on Turnstile. I've been listening to Turnstile for like four years or something like yeah. I, I don't even think I was that early. But yeah. like to watch him go mainstream, there's like always a part of you that you're just like, dude, I was in there so early, man. Like I saw him I, first. I saw him first. Like I saw him when they were like playing that shows like this big and <laughs> in, the um, yeah. in the basement, you know, and like you want to hold that. But it's just like, no. You were part of their story so that they could get big and so that you yeah. share them with the world. And you want to, it's such a good, it's such a good secret that you had. Like secrets are meant to be shared with these people. Mm-hmm. You know? do, you, do you still feel just as connected to the streetwear world? Um, and that's you, a you really feel, good you, question. You, feel like you still have a voice there. I, I know you have a voice. You're, you're um, people love you. You're, you're such a big part of that culture and stuff. Like, yeah. Do you feel like you have responsibility still to speak? Yeah, about you know, it or no. So that's a that's such a it's interesting that you're asking me that. There's um there are a lot of people now that are trying to nail me down for like streetwear interviews and whatnot. And there was a time where I felt obligated to do it. There was a time where I did it because I thought that's what I had to do for my career. Yeah. And then there was a time where I was just like, well, I feel obligated to do it because for whatever reason I feel responsible for the culture and making sure that's preserved. And now I'm at a place where I kind of like just looking at streetwear clinically. Um, I'm obviously very much involved because I have a streetwear brand in this yeah. space and we have to participate in the market. But me as a person, I kind of do enjoy being on the outside of it a bit, not having to feel like I need to prove myself in that world. Yeah. Right. Like you understand this is hardcore totally. too. Yeah. It's just like, I like being a fan of streetwear and I didn't really love being like, Oh, the arbiter of streetwear or like the gatekeeper or like the guy, the cool, like I never was comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I was always just like, Oh, you're a legend. I'm like, no, no, I'm a customer. Like, Oh, you're like a pioneer. I'm like, no, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Like even with the hundreds, you're like, you created the hundreds, like that you're an OG. And I'm like, no, I'm just a fan of the hundreds. I really am. Like I see it so much outside of myself, like objectively. Yeah. And I see streetwear the same thing where I'm like, okay, sure. Like some of the things I did were fundamental to how like the greater game played out. Sure. Like I was a part of that ecosystem, but man, I just love being an observer and just appreciating and admiring it. And like when I would get so personally into it, like my feelings and like politics and like fuck that brand and fuck that designer and like all of that gets in the way. And then you get really jaded very fast. Right. And we know a lot of streetwear legends Mm -hmm. who are like have a very jaded interpretation of it. Yeah. And like I never wanted that. I remember growing up in the space and just being like, 
I don't ever want to be that guy that's just grumbling in the corner. I want to remain a fan of this. Yeah. And the more I inserted myself into the conversation, I became less of a fan because I was mm. taking everything very personally and like things weren't going, I couldn't control it. Are you competitive too? So competitive, you know, but competitive in a way where I'm like not even like targeting anyone. It's just like me trying to be better. Yeah. Right. Um, but like over time, re- learning how to remove myself from it and be like a fan. I think that's so yeah. important to do. And so um, I don't know if my voice is the same. I think there's like a new crop of generation kids who probably don't even know like anything that I've done, Wow, you know, and definitely didn't ever read a blog growing up. I mean, you have to yeah. remember our brand turns 20 next year. Wow. We're older than, you know, we're like most of the kids who are wearing our stuff now have never known a world without the hundreds. It just existed. Yeah. Right. It's not like they watched the come up. It was just like, oh, it was just always here. Yeah. And I re- realized that years ago when I would ask kids like, yo, how, when did you get into it they're like what do you mean i'm like like how did you discover it you're like it was just always around it's almost like asking like yo when did you get into nike you're like i I don't nike was just always around like when when did you get into coca-cola like how did you (laughs) discover that you're like ah when i was born like it just was there you know and so it's the same with the hundreds um and so like my relationship with the space is different i think my voice moves differently in the space but i think there was a time where i was more concerned and like wanted to control a little bit, you know, curate myself a little bit better. And now like to be able to surrender, mm. like it definitely, like I appreciated it more. And I think like, I think I, I, I don't know. I think it's better for everyone. Yeah. Are there brands, are there new brands you'd pay attention to? Are there, is there a lot of new street brands? There are a lot of new streetwear brands. Okay. Um, you know, there's a whole new generation of brands that are coming in and brands that have already been around for the last like five to 10 years, but are like becoming legacy brands now, okay. like, like online ceramics, like we were talking okay, about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Braindead's obviously like probably the most popular in the mainstream oh, right, sense. Um, like Braindead is like what antisocial was like years before where um, just, it's just ubiquitous. It's, it's, you see it everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, cherries coming up and doing really well. I love those guys. I mean, there's so many brands, Paisa Boys. There's also just a lot of brands from um, types of people and cultures that were never really allowed into the space before or mm. didn't have the means to get into the space. And so, Paisa Boys or like um, just a lot of really great black owned brands that kind of put that messaging up front, like Circulate and Bricks and Wood, FTP. Um, uh, so like, I don't know, there's, there's every day I discover a new brand that I'm like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Like what they're doing. And I just love it. I love, I just love that energy. What about, so what's, so what's the new book going to be about? And the new book is coming in this spring and we should probably do another podcast then. Hell yeah. I think it'll be April or May. It's called NFTs are a scam. NFTs are the future. And it kind of picks up where uh, the, this is non t-shirt left off. Okay. And, um, that book was what it means to build a brand around a community and this book is what it means when the community starts building the brand, right? Wow, and so okay. it's just like a logical continuation, but it's more essays that have kind of been, they're more like think pieces that I've been writing over the last two years about this technology and this culture. And um, it'll be interesting because I know that most of my audience is allergic to the conversation. Like they hate <laughs> NFTs, they fucking hate crypto. They're like, they yeah. hate that Like I went down that rabbit hole. And so um, what I urge people to do is kind of look beyond like the technical aspects of it, right? Like, yeah, I know all the subject matter is kind of dense and boring and nerdy. And that was the same when I was getting into streetwear and the blogging was like the main driver of it. Everyone's just like, oh, 
they're using a website yeah. they're online they have an online store like this is so nerdy it's not streetwear <laughs> it's not cool and then eventually it just became normalized and totally. then you couldn't do all that you couldn't have a brand without all that stuff even supreme capitulated at some point they had to have an online store and then they had an instagram like it was weird to even see that happen yeah um it's almost i feel like the same thing's happening with this where it's just like a lot of resistance and you're hearing a lot of clatter around people saying like oh i just don't want to hear about crypto or nfts and i'm like okay you don't have to don't look at the tech side but just see what's happening within the culture mm -hmm. because what it stands for as far as decentralization meaning like there's not one central owner of things and like it's owned by community like that's something that goes speaks to, i feel like to the ethos of hardcore and punk and streetwear yeah. it's something that we've always wanted and it's happening within this technology right and empowerment of young artists and emerging artists and getting them paid in ways that they never were before that's something we've always wanted For and sure. really giving people on the internet what web3 means and the difference between web3 that we're building within nfts and crypto and the difference between this and what web2 was which was kind of the social media world yeah. is that we're making an internet that people where people kind of ownership of things where we didn't really have that before okay. it was just owned by the big tech giants now the people themselves can own and i think that's like a really important cultural shift it's an attitudinal shift and you know that's the part of web3 and nfts that make me really curious the gambling the ponzi like all like the money stuff and the rug pulling like i totally get if you hate crypto and nfts for all that i do too like there's so many scams but if you also remember in the early internet days, all the way up until now, scams have always been a part of every experience. Yeah. And then you can trace it all the way back to the, you know, like you can go to the, like the Nigerian Prince email scam, mm -hmm. which to this day still scams people about out of about $700,000 a year. Back then wow. it was millions and millions of dollars a year. But that scam actually has roots in like the 1600s. Like wow. that was like part of like another scam or, and it's called, you know, where like people were fooling boats to like lend resources and then not like giving them to them. So scamming has always been a part of human nature. Sure. It's definitely easier with technology. And the point again with technology is to make things move easier and faster. So the scams are getting easier and faster, mm. right? Just like the successful and like the productive and the progressive parts are getting easier and faster. The scams are getting easier and faster. And so when people are looking at that, they're like whoa it looks dangerous it is right like that's why like security is going to be the biggest part of this moving forward but think about what you already deal with you know every day in your online experience you need to enter your password to get your 2fa to check yeah. on your phone and validate through a code then you answer a captcha that opens up another email you know just to check your email every day True. and then even in that email inbox you have a separate box called spam which is literally scams of like <laughs> people trying to divorce you from your money that's all people are doing to you online all day every day True. right all the targeted ads all the bots in your instagram comments like people are trying to pull money from you and you've just completely normalized it in your life but like every day you turn on the internet there's like 5000 people coming for your money right uh, yeah. and nfts and and crypto are no different Right. But for whatever reason, people are just looking at the scamming parts and being like the whole thing is a scam. I don't believe the whole thing is a scam, but there's a very heavy scam element. I think that is um, just always been a part of human nature. We're going to face that with any new tech innovation. So that so the new book's going to break all that stuff down. Yeah. I think it'd be really helpful, I think, for people. Yeah. I think it's really hard for people to digest. Yeah. Most people are like. I don't like NFTs or crypto the way that most people explain it, but they'll hear it from me. I can package it in a way that I think kind of makes sense. Yeah, like the way Huberman breaks down the brain. Yeah, yes. 
exactly. So, no, just like, like with humor. Break down things yeah. like that. It's easy to understand for people who are not yeah. really in that world. And I saw also I'm like very sensitive and sympathetic to the point that a lot of this stuff is daunting. It's not <laughs> really that appetizing. It's definitely not cool. Um, but I just think it's important for people to know it exists. I'm not here to convert anyone. I don't even really judge have any judgment on it when I talk about it in the book. I'm more like these are the facts, and you yeah. decide what you want to do. But yeah. just know that it's there. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and then I want to leave, leave it up to people to decide whether or not they want to participate. Yeah. What was your, um, what, what was your last real job before the hundreds? Oh, not that the hundreds isn't a real job. You know what I mean? It's definitely not a real job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't know. I mean, I was designing skate, uh, graphics for like a local skate shop in town or, um, working at like a mall retail store. Wow. <laughs> like I don't, oh, I guess like. I was in law school, you know, Ben and I started this project when I was in law school. And right. so, um, I was interning for a judge okay. at the Los Angeles superior court. That was the last thing. That was the last, that was actually the last job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Also, so we talked about this in the last time, but farmer John's, it's like a slaughterhouse. It's right by the hundreds. That's right. It's closing down. It's closing down, but it's, I think they're moving. It's moving to like Indiana or something. Yeah. They're not like shutting down operations. Right. But yeah. It's pretty yeah. crazy, though. It is crazy that it's finally moving. That whole neighborhood that we're in used to all be slaughterhouses. Okay. And they all picked up and moved to the Midwest in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, Farmer John was kind of like the lone wolf just kind of left behind. Damn. Um, but it's it sucks that it's like still going somewhere else. But I know. It's just uh, it's going to be nice not to have to see that mayhem every day. Which and, is, smell, and smell it, and too. And the smell. And literally. And it sounds like I'm making this shit up. But every day coming out to your car and there's always like a thin layer of like bacon grease like on it. Wow. Yeah. Like there's like an oil slick on top of your car always. And like it Holy smells shit. like bacon. So like just breathing in those chemicals wow. like that's that bacon is so carcinogenic. Yeah, man. So any cured meat, you know, it's fucking gnarly, man. Yeah. I didn't realize it was happening on the cars, too. Yeah. And then we're going to see Paramore tonight. I'm really excited to see Paramore. So here. excited. Haley, let's go. I can't wait to see it. Like, we both love pop music, man. I know, love like, it. You like Katy Perry, too? I love Katy Perry. I love Taylor Swift's new album. Do you like Coldplay, too, I think? No, Coldplay's the only one Fuck, that I man. can't... Um, I know, and I really want to like Coldplay. Yeah. You know what it is? And this is... It's not It's not Coldplay's fault. Coldplay is obviously brilliant. It's my fault because when Coldplay first came on the scene, I immediately pass him off as bootleg Radiohead. Wow. And do you remember there was a moment yeah, yeah, yeah. where every, you were kind of a Radiohead fan or a Coldplay fan? Yeah. And I just was like, I was such a Radiohead junkie at the time. Okay. And so in so my never brain. Never gave him a chance. Never gave him a chance. And they obviously sound nothing like Radiohead. It was just yeah. in the beginning, there was only room for so many of these bands. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, yeah, there's only one Radiohead. And now choose I'm one. Like, yeah, choose one. What about hip hop? I know you love Kendrick. You listen, you listen to new hip hop too? Yeah. Um, I'm probably it? not at this moment in time. I'm probably like not as mindful of it than as I usually am. Cause I've just like the pandemic got re got me so back deep into hardcore again, just wow. with this new generation of bands. Yeah. And so I was either listening to like pop music cause of my kids and like a lot of Taylor Swift and folklore and like her, her pandemic albums or um, just exclusively pretty much hardcore. Yeah, we both saw the Kendrick show, not together, but it was such an incredible show. Man. Such a great show, like phenomenal, exceeded my expectations. I knew it was going to be great. I've seen him perform a couple of times before and I was just like, it's great, but it's not like mind blowing. That show. It was mind blowing, I think. was insane. 
everything about it from his outfits to his dancing to the dancers to the back the back his delivery his performance Dude. the cadence like the cl- the audio was so sharp it was like better than listening to the album i don't know i was like and the record's deep man talk about so, a lot of things yeah man. like you're sitting there taking notes at the same time you're like dancing you're just kind of like oh that was a good like what is what was your take on the covid stuff was he saying like how do you think he stands on that issue because do you remember there was like when he was in that COVID room and they're testing him on stage and then there was like um, there was a projection that said um, you can't hide who you are with a mask on or something like well, that. There's a, ver- there's a verse on the record that talks about it. That talks uh, about, about that. About getting specific- COVID and then Kylie Irving. Kylie Irving. Yeah. And then sh- did, Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And then he says, did I stay organic? Would you want to know? He says that in the line on the record. Yeah. Probably he's yeah, probably he, anti. Yeah, I don't think he is. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he. Yeah. But the background shit was crazy. It was yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I loved it. I had a, like a fantastic time. Is it mine. safe to say like he's? I don't want to. This generation's. He's a poet. Is he the new? Is he in just generation's Tupac? Can I. I, I would think so. Are we allowed to say that? Like poetry wise yeah. and lyrically wise. Like yeah. He's fucking incredible, man. So adult. The things he's singing about, like it's just everything, man. Yeah, and he's just so smooth. Like you, no. when you watch he's him, he's so cute. I want yeah, so little and his little, he's, oh, my little puppet and all yeah. that shit. Yeah, I don't know. I love but when him, you, dude. you know, there's certain musicians you watch and you're like, what a phenomenal entertainer, right? Or just like a brilliant artist, and they're like kind of a mad creative genius. Yeah. But when you watch him, you're like, oh, he's an intellectual genius. He's wired in a complete different way. If he was dude. led down a different path, maybe he would have become Steve Jobs, mm. right? Like maybe he would have become Elon Musk, but he was in music and so he became Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. The music is obviously wonderful and it's so easy to listen to, but it's really like the way that he makes you think. And I think he resonates on like multiple levels. I think to a mainstream radio audience, he captures them. You know, obviously it's like the music good. Yeah. But then there's people who are learning a lot and appreciate the learning by listening to his music. And so it's just, it's like very layered, you know, or it's, or it's a lot of music, especially a lot of pop music can just be more of a monolithic, yeah. you, you, you know, singular experience. And with him, it's just like, it's, it's a prism, right? There's it's, it's an art piece. This new record, it's an art man. piece. Yeah. I mean, talking about so many things from his auntie, from yeah. abuse. Yeah um divorce uh everything man it's- yeah like he'll be studied like a classical master the way that we read literature from authors you know that we had to read in school growing up yeah in like years to come they'll study his music like that and it'll be a reflection of the time and the social climate and one man's perspective on the world but yeah he's he's built entirely differently um i've met him twice oh and, wow really yeah and um and so, one time, actually, I'm, I'm, uh, I flew to Alaska with him and James Harden, and we spoke. What? Yeah, we spoke at this this you school together on the same flight. It's actually kind of an awesome story. What? So like Taco Bell had done this, or what? no, Taco Bell and MTV you had have a done. Crazy life. Man. Yeah, this was this was insane. Taco Bell and MTV, <laughs> I think, had done this contest, and they were like, if you know, you're, any high school could enter. And some kind of contest or an essay thing. And if your high school wins, we're going to fly Kendrick Lamar out to perform at your school. This was in like 2013 or 2012. That's what album would have been for him. Butterfly? No. Butterfly or was it Mad Mad City? I I think it would have been Mad City. Um, But um, Great records. So the school that won was in Bethel, Alaska. And Bethel, Alaska, this school had 500, 600 kids, K through 12. 
people journeyed an hour and a half to get to school every day. There's no way in and out of Bethel, Alaska by road. You have to fly in or take a boat. Wow. And so when I forget if it was MTV or talk about when they discovered that they were like, oh, we're not going to obviously fly Kendrick Lamar out there. Like, you know, sorry, you don't get to win. And everyone was so bummed because they were like, wait, we won the contest. And Kendrick was like, no, I'm going. And so not only did Kendrick go, they talk about asked if I would go and James Harden. And the reason why they asked us to go up there was that that school in particular had 12 times the national suicide rate for teenagers. Oh, wow. Just because of the conditions and the circumstances. I mean, it was rough out there. There's really like for everyone who's just like, oh, my town is boring. There's nothing to do. There was uh, two restaurants in town. There's one restaurant that was a hybrid, a Chinese, a Mexican, Italian restaurant that was only open a couple of days a week. And there was a subway. And the subway was a restaurant you go to for like weddings, uh, like parties, like dates and like graduations. Wow. Like, and there was only two jobs in town. You work for the hospital or you work for the school. And um, all Holy the, shit. and there's just nothing to do. It's just mud everywhere. And so kids just like, they'd ride to, to school on their quads and trudge through in boots. And these Dude. kids were just amazing. But anyways, the fact that Kendrick was just like, oh, no, I'm more than happy to go. And so we all flew up there for like two days and spoke to these kids just about like our journeys and what we've been through. So that's what I always remember about Kendrick. I'm wow. like, he didn't have to do this, you know, but he's just like, no, no, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to go up there and speak this for this for these kids. And um, just as, like these kids felt so seen. I mean, they were right to be like, Oh my God, I'm all the way up here in Bethel, Alaska. And like James Harden and Kendrick Lamar are here at my school. Like for me, like they took time out to come for me. And like, I think that inspired like so many young people to be like, I can do anything. Yeah. He performed too. He performed. I think he did like a, I don't know. No, I don't think he performed. I think he, he performed in Anchorage that night. Oh, okay. Um, but in the school, he just kind of like gave a little talk. And you flew together with him? Yeah. No, we actually ended up taking m- multiple different planes, but yeah. we all kind of left at the same time. Yeah. It's so crazy, man. Wow. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. But he's great. I th- he's just entirely, he's a different animal. Like, he's just like an, a, Mar- a Martian, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what Kendrick Lamar is. Like, I don't, like, the, I hope they study his brain one day, you know? He probably will. There. Yeah. Because um, he's, he's smarter than the average bear for sure. Um. What else do you want to achieve in your life at this point? How old are you now? I'm 42. Yeah. Um, I just signed with new management. And I yeah. also signed with uh, UTA and I, I left an, another agency and I signed with UTA to specifically work on more storytelling through film and television. I, I love think, that, man. Um, it's a great new lane for you. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Like, I think I'm pretty good at speaking to people on more like the intellectual side yeah. and the academic side and you know, NFTs and crypto tech are all great. Um, but to really move people, you have to speak to them emotionally and through culture. And what better language to do that in than through visual storytelling, th- through content, television, and movies. And so I've always been very much motivated and entertained by that space. And, you know, I want to get in there and, and, and do that work. I've been telling stories for 20 years through my medium of clothing. Yeah. Right. And so I've used T-shirts as really like a vehicle and a conduit to tell my story my experiences yeah. and it's just this is just a continuation of or if not an expansion of that we like a documentary about your life oh i have no care hundreds. to do that okay uh, yeah maybe for the hundreds yeah. like that'd be great but um i think documentaries are fun but they're just there's a lot now too everybody's got a doc everyone's right got now. a doc and it's <laughs> not that meaningful it almost feels like 
very masturbatory mm. <laughs> you know it's yeah. like for the person who's doing it they really love it but i don't think people care as much and they're kind of um most documentaries to me are pretty forgettable mm. i don't know if you feel that way yeah yeah they're just kind of they're very thin and so um the really good substantive documentaries to me like just have like really great stories it's not about like oh documenting someone's like really cool and crazy career it's like oh that's cool like yeah. i knew that you know they're world famous like that's sick like cool but it's just more of like these really uh rich human stories that like move me like that's that's what a great documentary is. It's not like how famous someone is or like, yeah. look at how many celebrities they got in this documentary. It's just like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to forget it in like two hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry. like it means nothing to me. It's cool. Like we need yeah. those kinds of movies too. Like I watch movies for all different reasons and there's some that are very enriching and very thought provoking. And then there's some that are just dumb humor and I'm just like half awake watching going like this is silly, but it's fun, you know? And so yeah. there's documentaries are the same. There's just like you follow, you know, a pop musician around for, you know, a year, you're going to get some really fun footage and you get, you get to watch like a two hour music video more or less. True. Um, but like, how would you want like your writing or your vision or producing to be with TV? Um, what's like your vision or I just want to tell like really great stories where young people feel seen for whatever reason. I still have very much like, I've just always had a heart for young people and the things that they go through. I think that was a very difficult time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, suffering from like really severe depression, like growing up with abuse and just like a lot of cultural differences, um, and just a lot of mental health stuff. And so, uh, I've always had a heart for that. I think much of the reason why I stay within streetwear is so that I can still speak to that audience yeah. if I want to. And it, um, and just knowing where they sit. And I also like really believe in young people. I like, they tell the future. Right. And so if like, you want to know where the world is going just sit down with any teenager and just like, listen. True. Um, and so any type of work that allows me to still be within that space, work with young people, speak to them and like create alongside them. I'm down for. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. I'm excited for you. See yeah. what your next part of your journey is. Because you're so young still. We did a lot, man, in your life. Yeah. I have so much more that I want to do. I think I'm very greedy. But, <laughs> but yeah, how many hours how many hours do you sleep at night? Four. What? Yeah. I'm up you, at four AM every day. I woke up at four today. You Mid- can't shut off midnight. your brain. They can't shut off my brain. It's not and it's not that I'm not tired, like I'm always exhausted. But there's just so much work to do. Talk. I'm, I'm gonna connect you to Huberman, man. Swear to God. I really need the help from him. Okay. I've been doing. I text him all the time. Questions to my friends every day. Please, like I know he has. I've listened to his podcast. I've been doing some of it. He's like, wake up every morning, stare at the sun. You know, set no your coffee circadian. until ninety minutes after you wake. Yeah, I don't drink coffee anyways, okay, okay, okay. so I don't drink caffeine. There's like, but I've done multiple sleep studies. The sleep doc, the best sleep doctors in LA are confounded with my brain. They're just like, we don't know what's going on. They're like, but you just can't sleep. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. Like, this has been a problem my entire life. I got you. Ever since I got the sauna and the cold plunge, my sleep is really? so fucking deep, dude. I have the I have the most amazing sleep. And okay. he's been asking me, Andrew, how's your sleep? I'm like, bro, my sleep is incredible. Especially if I end plunge? on cold. Oh, really? Yeah. Just like, because I don't remember ever in my life sleeping eight hours. I don't think I've ever done it. Wow. Yeah. The most it's I've so all ever sleep is too, six. Man. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like... 
what would I be if I could sleep? I would be like Barack Obama or someone. Dude, I don't know. It, could, it could change. It could change everything for you, man. Yeah, I hope so. Especially like I'd be ADHD, like Superman. All that shit. Yeah, like, it's all obviously very much informed with like mood and depression and anxiety. You tried melatonin. Like, you tried edibles. Yeah, you tried yeah, yeah, everything. everything. Yeah, edibles just make me stoned and sleepy. <laughs> like and so stoned and tired. You know, like I'm up all night just like off my face, and I'm like, great. Now I'm like delirious and I can't sleep. And then this intense shit, like ambient, there's all kinds of. Ambient yeah. just makes me feel gross. I, I get forgetful on it Damn. you know it's like uh, eternal I'm, sunshine I'm gonna, talk, I'm gonna text andrew as soon as we're done with this i better get okay. an answer in five minutes okay see four hours a night that's crazy. four hours dude. a night yeah i'm always like on the brink of like delirium kind of like it sometimes i'm actually writing something about this like a <laughs> a horror movie which like i'll have more to talk about later okay but um i kind of like it because i'm like neither here nor there sometimes where Damn. i'm just like am i really here and so it's really fucked up and i i don't i'm not saying it's like a good part of my health but um it is what it is and no one seems to be able to know how to fix it so i think the sauna plunge man if you could fit at your house somewhere yeah yeah it, it's a game changer i have a man. small yard but i feel like um like your yard's bigger than mine but i feel like i can like wedge it in the back somewhere you yeah know? man are you interested in that you take cold showers ever no, but I surf, and oh, so yeah, totally same. I'm yeah, totally yeah. fine. I've done a cold plunge. My yeah. neighbor has one. Oh, you told and, me that, yeah. Yeah, and I I did it twice, yeah. and I loved it. I loved it. It's energized everything, yeah. man. The, I mean, but when you first do it, you're like, this is like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says. I says, Andrew says, the first thirty to forty seconds, your brain's saying, get out, get out, get out. And after you like ease into it and sit down, then it it just yeah, it like physically hurts. Like it I feels know. like someone's. Like I've broken my leg before and it when that happened, it felt like the world was sitting on my bone. It's just like so much pressure. And it's the same feeling like when I was in there the first time, it felt like someone was just like squeezing my bones. Yes. Like I was like, oh, this is the worst feeling. I hate this. <laughs> and your body's like screaming. Like, what are you doing? Does he have a sauna too? Uh, my neighbor has, it's a both. she, but she has both. Okay, and yeah. so she, so we could, and there was also a jacuzzi. Damn. But uh, what a sick setup. I was I know. I should do it. I've been. I'm gonna ask you anybody thinks if he, if he suggests that, then I think it's smart. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Shit. Well, thank you for being here, man. I love you having come in the podcast and Toby. Let's do it again. You were my first. Was it my first twenty episodes? And then we have come back and we have something else coming out. And yeah, I just love talking to your um, good friend and inspiration in my life. And I love watching your journey and love you, dude. All that. You thank know? you. Thanks for continuing to do the podcast too. Like no one sticks with anything these days and so perseverance yeah that means something thank you I'm really, yeah. I'm really, i love it it changed my life in so many ways man learned so much about people and this human connection and all how important that is especially through the pandemic and yeah just just the relationships i get from a conversation yeah like I, now i love norm so much i've known throughout my my life but just hanging out with him for two hours just hearing his story yeah you know what makes you norm it's like stuff like that it's cool yeah but right. people can go back and listen to that episode and get your whole life story and all that stuff. And but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. If you yeah, listen to that episode. I feel like it's pretty still relevant. When was that? Twenty nineteen? Yeah. It was, huh? Before that probably, yeah. I feel like it was after my book came out. No, was it? no, it was before that. Oh, right? it was? It was like the first twenty episodes, man. I'm in two hundred. Oh my I'm god, I'm was two, it that long I'm ago? Episodes now. Was, was I even talking about that? I wasn't back even then. doing the porch photos or nothing, man. Oh wow. Now we get to go here. Ain't it fun? Yeah. Living in the real world. Haley, so we're coming excited. for you. All right, Bobby. Thank you for being here. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right, let's go eat. Peace. Bye. I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos, I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg, it's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. 
I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other. And that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out, swiped the credit card. Don't really tell me much. Didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use tobyh 20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 removal treatments done, 100 locations, U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology, cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do in these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code tobyh 20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out. Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch, and anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam.